I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here. And you know, for years, a good friend of mine has been telling me I, sh- I should see a psychologist. Uh, and so I, I sort of am today, but no, but seriously, uh, I have a wonderful guest with us, someone who has uh, just a lot of knowledge that can help you in your thought life, develop some healthy patterns, some good habits. And so this, you know, I don't know where you're at. If you're struggling, uh, this would be a great program for you. If you feel like things are good, well, this would be just a good, nice maintenance checkup. Uh, she has a book out. It's called The Best of You. Uh, we're talking about, you know, breaking free from painful patterns, as the book says, uh, mending your past, discovering your true self in God. And that, I believe, is key and separates what we're talking about today from sort of the secular side of the psychology, which I don't totally dismiss, but I think there's a missing component, and that's God. So we appreciate you guys being here. Chat is open. Hello, Judy, Lucinda, Loretta. Great to have you guys already. Uh, if you are watching us live, you can jump in and be a part of the conversation. If you're watching in the replay, we always appreciate your comments. Uh, Dr. Allison Cook, great to have you on Life Today Live. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. So let's let's hit the sort of the broad view of, of what you're trying to communicate here, because I think people will see themselves in lots of different places in this. So kind of give us the overview of what you're talking about. Yeah, kind of in line with what you were saying, as a psychologist, I specialize in bringing faith together with psychology, and I just saw a real need to walk people through what is this process of healing the self from a faith-based, from a biblical perspective. So the book is really sort of therapy in a book integrated with biblical wisdom. What does it mean to heal? How do we heal the self in partnership with God's spirit? How does that lead us into healthier boundaries? And then how does that change our relationships with other people. So it's really for anyone who has struggled with self-defeating thoughts, with painful relationships, feels stuck, and just wants to heal, but wants to do it in partnership with God. All right. I'm going to start this with an almost purely theological question, because I know some this, this this people react differently when you start talking about self-help and psychology and God. And I know you've had to address this question just to even do what you're doing, which the question is, how much is up to us? versus how much is just surrendering and and letting God? Uh, Where's where's the balance between things that we need to do in order to allow God to do what he wants to do? Does that make sense? I love that question. I have a whole chapter in the book uh, on healing our relationship with God where I talk about it is all God and we have a part to play. So I really believe that I like this word partnership, right? Mm -hmm. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in us in a way, the work is done. We have God and (laughs) we have a whole life still to live in which we partner with God to create the life and create the meaning and create the impact and create the relationships and the change in both ourselves and in the world around us. And so I really see it as a both and we need God that's a one-time thing. We have faith and we also have a part to play in the ongoing work of healing in our lives and in the lives of other people. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think it's illustrated in the book of James where he says, draw near to God, God and he will draw near to you. So I, I do think we have exactly. some responsibility, but I don't think we can do it all, which is why I want the God part in it. So let's talk about our part in this. What are some of the things you've been seeing 
you know, either just sort of perennial things or maybe things that have popped up recently that have kind of been a, a, a little higher on the radar when you're dealing with with individuals? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I noticed, and I think Christians maybe are, one of the things I wanted to do with this book was equip Christians to talk about this, to deal with this area of toxicity. There's so much that we see around like, what do we do with these toxic? What what about when somebody is mistreating us or manipulating us or even abusing us? What do we do when we're stuck in a relationship and we're we're Christians and so we want to be kind, we want to be helpful, right? We want to be loving, and so this is one of the most common things I see when people come into my office. I this is driving me crazy, and I want to be kind. Mm. And so helping people thread that needle, first of all, biblically, which is we look at the life of Jesus and we say Jesus was not a doormat. Number one, Jesus was very skilled at confronting toxicity, at calling out abusive behavior, at you know setting healthy boundaries for himself where he took time for himself. We see Jesus really engaging with people in very skilled ways ways. And so that's probably the biggest thing is just helping, especially women, but really everybody who, who often comes to me with this, but I want to be a kind person. What does that mean when I'm dealing with a world that is filled with a lot of really complicated, even toxic situations, even in my family, even in my home, even with my own parents, I want to do right. And I don't want to be foolish, right? Yeah. We know the Bible talks a lot about that. So you, you brought up an interesting, do you address confrontation in your book? assertiveness, healthy assertiveness. There's a lot of scripts in it for how to speak up mm. on behalf of something you need, want, or a boundary that you need to set, which is all assertiveness. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest ones, uh, partly because we tend to not say anything until we've just had it with people. Exactly. <laughs> right. So what, what are some, maybe some good guidelines to, to be assertive, even confrontational, I would say, uh, in the right way? Yeah, you're exactly right. Most of us, there's a chapter in the book, I call it negotiating the change that you want. There's a way in which we have to confront mm -hmm. the things we don't like. Mm -hmm. There is healthy conflict, healthy negotiation, whether it's in marriage and friendship at work, you know, with people we love, with our kids, you know, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I talk about is you're exactly right. We tend to lash out. You know, we do one of two things. We either lash out or get really critical, which never helps. Mm -hmm. Or we just say nothing and we we shove our shove it aside and then we get resentful or it comes out sideways. You know, <laughs> neither of those extremes is healthy, right? right. And so really I walk you through a, a very step-by-step -step process of figuring out what is the thing that I really want. So we start off with, oh, I'm so frustrated with you or that makes me crazy which doesn't help, what is it that I need in this moment? What is happening to me? So we have to kind of take you know, this U-turn where we look at ourselves and go, what I really need is for this person to respect me when I say, I, you know, respect my boundary, or I need this person to listen to me all the way through. Whatever the need is, we help that conversation when we need to confront it. If instead of lashing out at them, we come at them with a very clear, grounded, calm way of saying, hey, this is what's happening and here's what I need. We start with an I statement instead of with a you are statement. Mm -hmm. And that that takes some work on our part, right? To do that work, to get off by ourselves, away from the triggering situation, figure out what's going on with us, what's bothering us, what's agitating us, what's what we need out of that situation, and then figuring out how to go communicate on it, communicate on behalf of it in a way that doesn't really just put that other person into defense mode. How do we how do we do that without being self-centered? You know what I'm saying? When we start with I, with me, yeah. 
that can feel a very self-centered place and can certainly be that when we're supposed to put the needs of others above ourselves and things like that. Sometimes I think that uh, the the scriptural, you know, commands to, to consider others over ourselves uh, can be very tricky to to balance in, in these yes. kinds of situations. Yeah, in the very first chapter, you, you're, that's the exact question I hear the most. But isn't that selfish? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, there you go. I have, this, I have this chart where I talk about this idea of selfishness versus selflessness. And often in Christians, we're taught to be selfless. But I would argue, and this is where I bring sort of the, the wisdom of psychology with biblical truth, is that selfishness is saying it's all about me. It's my way or the highway. I don't care about you. Mm. Selflessness, on the other hand, is saying it's never about me. It's always about you. That is also not necessarily healthy. And I don't, I would argue it's not the example we see in Jesus. That's not the example. Jesus did steward his body. He did steward his time, his treasure, and his talents. He did honor God by honoring his own, you know, his human body. And so what I talk about is this third way between the two, which I call selfhood, which again gets, we talk, you know, this gets conflated with the world is like, just be, do you be yourself. That's not what it is. I think uh, biblical, yeah. biblical selfhood is it's about your needs and it's about my needs. And together, the two of us, this is diversity and unity. Together, we both get in, a, we both come to the table and together when I honor you and you honor me, we create something even more beautiful. Mm. And that's what we really need is that selfhood, not selfishness, but also not being a doormat, not just, I never matter. What I bring to the table because I'm made in the image of God is not only good for me, but you also need to get to know that me as I need to honor the image of God in you. And so this is this selfhood and it's very tricky to tease out in our modern culture. And that's why it's very important. I put true self in God. But it is an important ingredient in this. And I always think of what Jesus said when he said, love others as yourself. It's almost like Jesus was implying you, 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 the way that you treat yourself will impact how you treat others. It's not completely irrelevant to how you treat others. And so if you're dealing with a lot of trauma, if you've got a lot of wounds, if you've been hurt, if you don't know how to stand up for yourself, you, you don't know that as yourself piece of what Jesus mm. is asking us to do. And we end up in these relationships where we aren't bringing the fullness of who God made us to be, which is really what other people need from us. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we know if we look sort of at the, at the negative example, the people that don't value themselves and, and have an identity really rooted in God, uh, they don't value others. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, I do see a need to, you know, it's not love yourself or love your neighbor instead of yourself. That's right. It's, it's not. It's as yourself. So there does seem to be a balance here. How do you, how do you balance? I mean, because you've got, you know, degrees from what, Dartmouth and uh, University of Denver, um, uh, Denver Seminary, right? So you've, you've done a lot of studying and those aren't, I don't think those are all sort of biblically based uh, organizations how do you how do you balance the good that you get in your training uh, with the foundation of scripture that may not always be in alignment but is not 
always contradictory. So you have to sift through and and really have some yeah. wisdom on how to apply that. How do you do that? It's a great question. I, uh, I I tell the story. I went off to Dartmouth. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad read the Bible to us every morning, you know, very strong rootedness in the Bible. So for me, when I went off to college, ironically for me, it was a very secular school. And I actually talk about this in the book. That's where I actually had a really living encounter with Jesus mm. because everything was put to the test. Um, and so I grew a deep awareness. Then I went on to Denver Seminary, which was a biblically based counseling okay. program that helped me integrate. Um, but but it is true in my work and in my PhD program, which was secular. Um, I, you know, I, I'm constantly reading a lot of stuff, a lot of the humanistic psychologies, a lot of right. the stuff on self, right? And, and so I'm constantly, thankfully, I had that strong foundation in the Bible, just Bible camp every summer, scripture memory. So it's there, it's living. And I would say to people, you know, that's why we want the Bible living in our minds, because then what would help me is I could kind of tease out. I'm like, there are grains of truth here. Sure, There are grains of truth in psychology and mm -hmm. secular psychology, even where it's like, you do need to have a healthy relationship with yourself. But I'm always holding that intention with biblical wisdom. And that's exactly the, the heart of what I love to do. The books that I write are all me to, in answer to your question, trying to work out, mm -hmm. work out, right? That, that, cause I think it's so needed. If we throw out, you know, psychology or science altogether, we miss out. We don't do that with sure. medicine. Um, but, it, but we do need to be very grounded in the scripture when we do that, that piece of bringing it together. I think one thing, just a side note, I'm going to go down a rabbit trail here briefly, yeah. but when we talk about science and the scientific process, which is postulating a theory, trying to tear it down. And if it can't be torn down, we hold it up as true. Is that when we do that, and whether it's in medicine, and I think we find out in psychology even too, uh, and even in, I mean, uh, some studies um, that, you know, reflect history, DNA studies, things like that, uh, genealogy even. The more we perfect the science, mm -hmm. um, throwing the junk science out, because there's plenty of that. The more that we perfect the science, I think the more it reveals God's creation in his truth. Exactly. Yes, yeah. I agree. So, And we see that I in medicine. Medicine's, I think, the easier place to kind of see that. Uh, but, I mean, we, I, I could roll through a bunch of examples. I won't. But I, I So I, I don't start from a point of, oh, secular psychology, throw everything out. Uh, and I, and I, I don't think that's smart. But I do think you have to test everything against the Scripture, and which requires – pursuing a proper understanding of scripture, which That's in right. itself is a whole other exercise. So uh, it's a lot of work. I mean, one yeah. of the ways I'd like to think of it is God designed, if you think about psychology and medicine, God designed our bodies to heal. So whether you know God or not, whether you're a person of faith, if you cut yourself, your body has the ingredients it needs to heal. Yeah. That's because God made your body mm -hmm. that way. The same is true of our souls. God designed our souls to heal. So whether you know God or not, there are certain truths, small t truths of psychology, how you tend to your thought life, how you tend to your emotions that will bring yeah. more health. Yeah. And all of those truths are underscored in biblical wisdom. You know, that it's exactly what we said. It's just, it's always amazing to me. I'm like, oh, that's what Paul says when he says, take every thought <laughs> captive. Yeah. You know, that's all of this is, it's, there's nothing new under the sun in a way. It's just that psychology has kind of teased out these things, taken the, the God part out, for, you know, but but tested these things and said they work, yeah. which they do because God designed our souls to heal. Yeah, I know. I, I love it. I love it. Okay, this is the book. It is called The Best of You. Uh, and there's a big asterisk next to the you, yes. uh, even though it's circled. So I'm, I'm, I have to ask, what, what what is the asterisk for? 
<laughs> well, the asterisk is a part of our, we, this, we went round and round on this because this really is a book. If you think about love God, that's number one, love others as self. This is a book that is focused on you and your journey of breaking free from painful patterns, mending your past and discovering your true self of God. So it really just goes to the subtitle, which we wanted people to see is not you in the sense of just do you. Right. It's you in the sense of your true self in God. Okay. I like that. <laughs> um, so let's hit those. Let's hit those points. Uh, let's talk about the the painful patterns. Um, what are the most common ones that you see, and how do we get rid of them? And, and I know this is a ridiculously short amount of time to address it, but give yeah. us sort of the high points on sure. it. Well, tag, picking piggybacking on what I was saying, when we don't have a healthy relationship with ourselves, when we devalue ourselves, when we even shame or hate ourselves, or we bypass ourselves in an unhealthy way, we flip into what. We're hearing all, all the big buzzword is codependency, mm -hmm. which essentially means I'll do your work for you instead of facing my own. Mm. So it's this kind of relationship pattern where I'm so busy trying to fix everybody around me, whether it's my spouse, whether it's my kids, whether and I'm ignoring myself, which inevitably isn't good for them because right. we we're enabling and it's not good for me. And so that's one of the, the things I see very commonly is these kind of un, out of balanced relationships. So um, what's what's maybe a, a first step to reverse that process? Recognizing, recognizing it. So the first step is people will say, I want better boundaries because <laughs> they're, they're, they're tired and burnt out and exhausted from taking care of everybody else. Mm. But actually what I argue in the book is the boundaries come out of the first looking at yourself and saying, why am I so scared to, to do my own work, to take a look inside, to look at my past wounds, to look at maybe the ways that I, as a little kid, the ways that, you know, I, I believe our, our earthly, our earthly parents, our moms and our dads, I mean, it's a big job and we don't have to do it perfectly, but they do give us our first glimpse of what it means to be loved, mm -hmm. what it means to be beloved, what it means to be cherished and cared for. It's such an important role. And if we didn't get that, it is really hard to go into your adult relationships and assume that somebody's gonna love you and care for you and respect you. You don't know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. So you gotta take a look at some of that stuff. So that's where you start to look back. You know, you have to look back a little bit to move forward. Does it, does it always go back to our childhood? I swear, <laughs> <laughs> it just, and, and I mean, there's, those are the formative years, but I mean, so many people that I talk to that have all these issues as, you know, even as early as teenagers, but into their adulthood. And sometimes they carry, I mean, late in life, the rest of their lives sometimes, frankly, but you know, the ones that face it, it, there just seems like whether they're real or perceived, uh, we, we form a lot of bad ideas in our childhood. And you talk about mending your past. Yeah. That's a big one. It is a really big one. I always am looking for what, you know, what happened in the past that created this current situation. Sometimes there's, you know, neurological, biochemical, but even those sometimes are shaped by past events. We're learning more and more and more. Mm. Um, and then, of course, we make our own choices. So there's different ingredients. And so the humility to even recognize I, I don't like the choices I'm making. Some of them are a byproduct of the ways that I, I wasn't taught well. Hmm. So two things can be true. We don't, we don't go back to lay blame. We go back to name and say, this is what happened. This is the root of this. Now that I understand that I can begin to do the work of changing, healing and growing. Can we do that on our own? 
<laughs> Do we need to say I someone? Say, I mean, <laughs> oh, I thought, yeah, I would say yes to some degree, but depending on the level of, and, and, you know, if you have big emotions, big, you know, if you're, you're losing a lot of the work you can do inside your own soul. I wrote this book to help people just on their daily mm. journey. It's very practical. But if you notice, like, you're really stuck or you're having big reactions or you're really hurting other people or yourself, get someone to help you. There's just no, we all need someone. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It can be a small group. It can be a church group. It can be a pastor, a spiritual director, or it can be a therapist. We mm-hmm. all need someone to come alongside us at some point as we journey toward health, health and healing. Yeah. And we tend to, oh, some people are going to hate this, but the the in in the Bible, sin is is a very wide term. It yeah. includes things uh, like iniquity, which is not even knowing right and wrong, uh, and transgression, which is knowing something's wrong and doing it anyway, or knowing something is right and not doing it. But yeah. it also includes the things that we're not even aware of. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I could go on about the sacrificial system and the, the significance of these things, but it just means missing the mark at That's its right. root. Uh, and sometimes we're not aware that we miss the mark, but yet scripture says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And That's I think right. sometimes we miss the connection between the the emotional healing and then the confessing where I'm just missing it over here. Not intentionally, not because I'm a bad person or because I don't love God or I'm rebellious towards God. It's just we're human. I yeah. missed it. And I need someone yeah. to, to talk through this so that I can get healing. So I fully endorse your point. Absolutely. And so that one of the things I touch on in the book, one of the painful patterns is shame so that we don't succumb to shame Mm. because shame steps in. And I believe shame is a tool of the enemy. Mm -hmm. It's not guilt. It's not conviction. It's shame is this feeling of, I am a terrible person that nobody could ever love. It isolates us. It disconnects us. And it's exactly what happens if we don't go to someone and say, Hey, I'm dealing with this. Can you lovingly and honestly come alongside of me? Because that's where healing happens. It's in that connection yeah. to other people. Yeah. My former co-host on the broadcast show, Sheila Walsh, would say that guilt tells you I've done something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. Exactly. Yeah. And I always thought, wow, that's that's pretty insightful. And I can remember that when it's short. Okay. Yeah. Two, two quick areas I want to hit with you. Uh, one's a, a question from the audience, but the other is... Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of uptick in mental illness and whether it's just identifying it or if it's actually on the in, you know, on the increase, I think it's on the rise. Is there a relationship between trauma, whether it's COVID or whether it's childhood um, and mental illness? Yes, I would absolutely say most clinicians are, you know, when I was back learning about this, it was really the mental illness model. Everything was a disease to diagnose. And that that, that never rang true with me. You know, I, I was seeing college kids at the time and I was like, well, of course she's anxious. Um, her parents have abandoned her and she's raising herself and her three, you know, yeah, it, her anxiety seems very normal to me yeah. because she's had trauma. So yeah. we've shifted since that time in the last 20 years toward understanding that a lot of anxiety, depression, you know, these things we understand as PTSD are rooted in trauma, not necessarily everything, but a lot of it. Hmm. So do you, what's, what's the, what's the answer for, for that? Is it again, the, the talking through, seeing an expert, uh, medicating? 
Yeah, all of the above. But I think what shifts when we understand trauma as such an, you know, key. And again, this parallels the the Bible, right? This parallels the brokenness mm. that we think about. Sometimes I've, I've heard people talk about, you know, we talk about the sins of the generation. You could almost substitute the trauma of the generations mm. gets passed down. That's true. You know, your your grandmother beat up your your dad, your dad beat you up. Because out of his trauma, out of his pain, you know, a simpler way to put it is hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think there is a lot with trauma of where we, but what we do is instead of stigmatizing, instead of labeling and just put something on medication, although that is often needed and can be very helpful, we're saying, let's get to the root and heal. And again, God designed our souls to heal. Let's heal the, the wounds that are in, and this is to me the beautiful part of the ongoing work of healing. Yeah. That it's not just a one-time event. And that's right? an important that point. Yeah. 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 Sometimes we forget that. We want the instant, but it's a process. It is a process. Yeah. All right. Last question. And I appreciate, by the way, this is this is a wonderful, wonderful conversation. People are enjoying it too. Um, so someone's asking, I don't know if you address this at all, but they're asking how to get a, a teenager to open up um, or dealing with the rebellious stage. Do you address this it, at all? Yes, a great question. I would say, I would, the, the magic words I would say are get curious. Kids, spouses, people don't respond to criticism. So instead flip it to curiosity and start to become almost a detective. Notice, I wonder what's going on. Hmm. And it's just a different shift when we're in anxiety. We're like, oh my gosh, I've got to stop this. Or what's wrong with this kid? There's so much tension, right? And pressure. But when we get curious, we start in, in partnership with God's spirit, we say, what's going on? I wonder what pain is there. I wonder what hurt is there. I wonder what they're re reacting against, responding to. And we start to just pay attention and notice and even talk to, you know, I notice naming without shame, mm. naming without shame. I notice this is happening. Can you tell me about it? We begin to invite connection with our kids. It's a very different way than some of us have been taught, but especially with teenagers, you know, it's it's inviting them into a conversation that where we're we're not we're still setting boundaries, we're still enforcing rules, but we're also simultaneously trying to understand what's going on. Yeah. It's good. What anger is there? What what fear is there? What pain is there that I can come alongside you with? I can't let you do this thing and I can also come alongside of you where you're hurting. Yeah, I'm 10 years late on getting that advice, but I can't say from experience whether, you know, how not to do it or some things that work. But uh, the, the connection allows the correction because correction That's without exactly. connection is just falling on deaf ears. Exactly. Yeah. So good. All right. Uh, I want to show people your website. This is drallisoncook.com. Allison has one L, drallisoncook.com. And you can uh, get some, some goodies to go with the book uh, if you haven't. If you want to order the book, you can start there. Of course, you can get it wherever you get books. But um, she's got a lot of information there. Um, what's on your podcast? I see a podcast link there. Yeah, but weekly, my podcast every Thursday, The Best of You, I just go through different topics. Right now, we're talking about dealing with sadness, dealing with anxiety, oh, um, relationships. All all these faith, it's all faith combined with psychology. That is my my goal and my love and my passion is to get these resources out to people as, as widely as possible. Oh, that That's very helpful. Uh, so if you're interested in pursuing uh, maybe a specific topic or just kind of going through it, uh, Judy, especially, um, check out drallisoncook.com podcast. The topic she's hitting might be a great resource for you. 
Dr. Cook, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and your insight. Is there anything you want to add before I let you go? This has been very helpful. I can tell from the chat, too, you're lighting people up. You're hitting hitting what we call around here those felt needs, which is yeah. very important. So thank people you for that. People are hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just say thank you so much for letting me come on and talk about this and just creating this space because I, I do think people are hurting, and there is a lot of kind of junk out there. And there's some good stuff too. And I just, you know, I want to get people to some real healing resources. I just appreciate the time. Absolutely. And you know what? I appreciate someone who is an expert in her field, but is rooted in the word of God. I mean, you're talking best of both worlds there. So do check out the best of you available wherever you pick up books. Check it out. DrAllisonCook.com. And come back. I'm doing my best to bring you great guests that will bless you and inspire you. So we'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live.